0: Chapters twenty three and twenty four of gretchen by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter twenty three arthur's letter two weeks had passed since jerry's return to her lessons and people had ceased to talk of the missing diamonds although the offered reward of five hundred dollars was still in the weekly papers and a detective still had the matter in charge without however achieving the slightest success no one had been suspected and the thief whoever he was must have been an expert and managed the affair with the most consummate skill now that she had another set mrs tracy was content and peace and quiet reigned in the household except so far as arthur was concerned he was restless and nervous and given to fits of abstraction which sometimes made him forget the two little girls one of whom watched him narrowly and once when they were alone and he seemed unusually absorbed in thought she asked him if he were trying to think of something yes he said looking up quickly and eagerly that is it i am trying to remember something which it seems to me i ought to remember but i cannot and the more i try the farther it gets from me do you know what it is jerry hesitated a moment and then she asked is it the diamonds diamonds no what diamonds didn't i tell you never to say diamonds to me again i am tired of it he said and in his eyes there was a gleam which jerry had never seen there before when they rested upon her it made her afraid and she answered meekly then i cannot help you to remember of course not no one can arthur replied in a softened tone it is something long ago and has to do with gretchen then suddenly brightening as if that name had been the key to unlock his misty brain he added i have it i know it has come to me at last Gretchen always sets me right i wrote her a letter long ago a year it seems to me and it has never been posted strange that i should forget that but something came up i can't tell what and drove it from my mind as he talked he was opening and looking in the drawer which Jerry had never seen but once before and that when he took from it the letter in german a paragraph of which he had bidden her read here it is he said joyfully as he took out a sealed envelope and held it up to jerry this is the letter which you must post at once he gave her the letter which she took with a beating heart and a sense of shame and regret as she remembered her pledge to mr frank tracy she had promised to take him any letter which mr arthur might entrust to her care and if she took this one she must keep her word oh i can't do it i can't it would be mean to mr arthur she thought and returning him the letter she said please post it yourself then you will be sure and i might lose it or forget i am careless sometimes don't ask me to take it she was pleading with all her might but arthur paid no heed and only laughed at her fears i know you will not forget and i'd rather trust you than charles surely you will not refuse to do so small a favour for me No she said at last as she put the letter in her pocket with the thought that she would show it to mr frank as she had promised but would not let him keep it she found him in the room where the dead woman had lain in her coffin and where he often sat alone thinking of the day when the inquest was held and when he took his first step in the downward road which had led him so far that now it seemed impossible to turn back if i had never secreted the photograph or the book with the handwriting everything would have been so different and i should have been free he was thinking when jerry knocked timidly at the door rousing him from his reverie and making him start with the nameless fear which was always haunting him oh jerry it is you he said as the little girl crossed the threshold and shutting the door stood with her back against it and her hands behind her what is it he asked as he saw her hesitating With a quick, jerky movement of the head, which set in motion the little rings of hair now growing so fast, and brought his brother to his mind, Jerry replied, "'I came to tell you that Mr. Arthur has written the letter.' "'What letter?' Frank asked, for the moment forgetting the conversation he had held with the child in the tramp-house. "'The one I promised to bring you, the one to Germany,' was Jerry's answer. And then Frank remembered what, in the excitement of the diamond theft, had passed from his mind— yes yes i know give it to me he said advancing rapidly toward her and putting out his hand when did he write it let me see it please rather reluctantly jerry handed him the bulky letter the direction of which covered nearly the whole of one side of the envelope very nervously frank scanned the address which might as well have been in the hindu language for any idea it conveyed to him to whom is it directed i cannot read german he said i don't know jerry replied i have not looked at it and would rather not why what a little prude you are and frank laughed uneasily what possible harm is there in reading an address the postmaster has to do it and any one who took it in the office would do it if he could this sounded reasonable enough and standing beside him jerry read the address in german first then as he said to her i don't understand that lingo put it in english she read again to marguerite heinrich if living and if dead to any of her friends or to the postmaster at wiesbaden germany if not delivered within two months return to arthur tracy tracy park shannondale massachusetts u s a marguerite marguerite heinrich frank repeated that is not gretchen the letter is not to her i guess it is jerry replied he told me once that gretchen was a pet name for marguerite yes frank returned with a sigh of disappointment while to himself he said it is not marguerite tracy and that makes me less a scoundrel than i should otherwise have been then turning to jerry as he put the letter in his pocket he said thank you for bringing this to me i had forgotten all about it mr tracy you mustn't keep the letter it is not yours no harm will be done if it goes mr arthur will never let maude be wronged give it to me please jerry cried in a tone and manner she might have borrowed from arthur himself it was so like him when on his dignity and frank felt it and he knew that he had more than a child to deal with and must use duplicity if he would succeed so he said to her quietly and naturally why how excited you are do you think i intend to keep the letter it is as safe with me as with you it is true that when i talked to you in the tramp house i thought it must not be sent but i have changed my mind and do not care i am going to the office and will take it myself john is saddling my horse now and if i hurry i shall be in time for the western mail good-bye and do not look so worried do you take me for a villain he was leaving the room as he talked and before he had finished he was in the hall and near the outer door leaving jerry stupefied and perplexed and only half reassured if i had not sold myself to satan before i have now for sure and still i did not actually tell her that i would post it though it amounted to that frank thought as he galloped through the park toward the highway which led to the town once he took the letter from his pocket and examined it again wishing that he knew its contents if i could read german i believe i am bad enough to open it but i can't and i dare not take it to any one who can he said, as he put it again in his pocket, half resolving to post it and take the chances of its ever reaching Gretchen's friends or anyone who had known her. I'll see how I feel when I get inside, he thought, as he dismounted from his horse before the door of the post office. The mail was just in, and the little room was full of people waiting for it to be distributed, and Frank waited with them, leaning against the wall with his head bent down and beating his boot with his riding whip. I must decide soon, he thought when a voice not far from him caught his ear and glancing from under his hat he saw peterkin coming in portly and pompous and with him a dapper little man who in the days of the liza ann had been a driver for the boat but who now like his former employer was a millionaire and wore a thousand-dollar diamond ring to him peterkin was saying there that's him that's frank tracy the biggest swell in town lives in that handsome place i was telling you about strange that words like these from a man like old peterkin should have inflated frank's pride but he was weak in many points and though he detested peterkin it gratified him to be pointed out to strangers as a swell who lived in a fine house and with the puff of vanity came the reflection that as frank tracy of some other place than tracy park and a poor man he would not be one whom strangers cared to see and jerry's chance was lost again here is your mail mr tracy the postmistress said and stepping forward frank took his letters from her just as peterkin slapped him on the shoulder and with a familiarity which made frank want to knock him down called out hello tracy just the feller i wanted to see let me introduce you to mr B. J. jones from Pennsylvania. used to drive hosses for me in the days i ain't ashamed of by a long shot he's bought him a place out from philadelphia and wants to lay out a la Dumbed if I know the word, but like them old chaps' gardens in Europe. And I told him of Tracy Park, which beats everything holler in this part of the country. Will you let us go over it and take a survey? Certainly. Go where you like, Frank said, struggling to reach the door. But Peterkin buttonholed him and held him fast while he continued. I say, Tracy, heard anything from them diamonds? Nothing, was the reply. Didn't hunt in the right quarter peterkin continued leastwise didn't foller it up or you'd have found em without so much advertising what do you mean frank asked oh nothin peterkin replied only them diamonds never went off without hands and them hands ain't a thousand miles from the park perhaps not frank answered mechanically more intent upon getting away than upon what peterkin was saying he longed to be in the open air and as he mounted his horse he said as if speaking to someone near him well old fellow i've done it again and sunk myself still lower you are bound to get me now some day unless i have a death-bed repentance and confess everything the thief was forgiven at the last hour why not i frank could have sworn that he heard a chuckle in his ear as he rode on fast and far until his horse was tired and he was tired too then he began to retrace his steps so slowly that it was dark when he reached the village and turned down the road which led by the gate through which the woman had passed to her death on the night of the storm as he drew near the gate it seemed to him that there was something on the post nearest the fence which had not been there in the afternoon when he rode by something dark and peculiar in shape and motionless as a stone he was not by nature a coward and once he had no belief in ghosts or supernatural appearances but now he did not know what he believed and this object whose outline seen against the western sky where a dim light was lingering seemed almost like that of a human form made his heart beat faster than its wont and he involuntarily checked his horse just as a clear shrill voice called out mr tracy is that you i have waited so long and am so cold sitting here did you post the letter it was jerry who after he had left her in his office had been seized with an indefinable terror lest he might not post the letter after all it seemed wrong to doubt him and she did not really think that she did doubt him still she should feel happier if she knew and after supper was over she started along the grassy road until she reached the gate here she waited a long time and then as mr tracy did not appear she walked up and down the lane until the sun was down and the ground began to feel so damp and cold that she finally climbed up to the top of the gate-post which was very broad and where on her way down she had frequently sat for a while it was very cold and tiresome waiting there and she was beginning to get impatient and to wonder if it could be possible that he had gone home by some other road when she heard the sound of horses hoofs and felt sure he was coming why jerry how you frightened me frank said as he reined his horse close up to her jump down and get up behind me i will take you home she obeyed and with the agility of a little cat got down from the gate-post and on to the horse's back putting both arms around frank's waist to keep herself steady for the big horse took long steps and she felt a little afraid did you post the letter she asked again as they left the gate behind them and struck into the lane to lie now was easy enough and frank replied without hesitation of course did you think i would forget it no jerry answered i knew you would not i only wanted to be sure because he trusted it to me and not to have sent it would have been mean and a sneak and a lie and a steal don't you think so she emphasized the steal and the lie and the sneak and the mean with a kick which made the horse jump a little and quicken his steps yes frank assented it would be all she affirmed and more too and the man who could do such a thing was wholly unworthy the respect of any one and ought to be punished to the full extent of the law that's so jerry said with another emphatic kick and a slight tightening of her arms around the conscience-stricken man who wondered if he should ever reach the cottage and be free from the clasp of those arms which seemed to him like bands of fire burning to his soul i'd never speak to him again jerry continued and mr arthur wouldn't either he is so right up and hates a trick i don't believe either that any harm will come to Maud from that letter as you said if there does and mr arthur can fix it he will i know for i shall ask him and he once told me he would do anything for me because i look as he thinks gretchen must have looked when she was a little girl like me they had reached the cottage by this time where they found harold in the yard looking up and down the lane for Jerry, whose protracted absence at that hour had caused them some anxiety even though they were accustomed to her long rambles by herself and frequent absences from home you see i have picked up your little girl and brought her home jump down Jerry, and good-night to you mr tracy said as harold came up to them she was on the ground in an instant and he was soon galloping toward home saying to himself i don't believe i can even have a death-bed repentance i have told too many lies for that and worse than all must go on lying to the end i have sold my soul for a life of luxury which after all is very pleasant he continued as he drew near the house which was brilliantly lighted up while through the long windows of the dining-room he could see the table with its silver and glass and flowers and the cheerful blaze upon the hearth there was company staying in the house mr and mrs raymond from kentucky father and mother to fred and mr and mrs st Clair and grace atherton and squire harrington had been invited to dinner and were already in the dining-room when frank entered it after a hasty toilet he had been out in the country and ridden further than he intended he said by way of apology as he greeted his guests and then took mrs raymond in to dinner dolly was very fine that evening in claret velvet with her new diamonds which were greatly admired grace atherton declaring that she liked them quite as well as the stolen ones whose setting was rather passe. that is why i prized them so much it made them look like heirlooms as if one had always had a family dolly said grace atherton shrugged her still plump shoulders just a little and thought of the first call she ever made upon dolly when the lady entertained her in her working apron Dolly did not look now as if she had ever seen a working apron, and was very bright and talkative and entertaining, and all the more so because of her husband's silence. He was given to moods, and sometimes aggravated his wife to desperation when he left all the conversation to her. Do talk, she would say to him when they were alone. Do talk to people and not sit so glum with that great wrinkle between your eyes as if you were mad at something. And do laugh too when anybody tells anything worth laughing at and not leave it all to me why i actually giggle at times until i feel like a fool while you never smile or act as if you heard a word look at me occasionally and when i elevate my eyebrows so brace up and say something if it isn't so cunning this elevating of the eyebrows and bracing up were matters of frequent occurrence as frank grew more and more silent and abstracted and now after he had sat through a very funny story told by mr st clair and had not even smiled or given any sign that he heard it he suddenly caught dolly's eye and saw that both eyebrows and nose and chin were up as marks of unusual disapprobation for how could she guess of what he was thinking as he sat with his head bent down and his eyes seemingly half shut but they came open wide enough and his head was high enough when he saw dolly's frown and turning to mrs raymond he began to talk rapidly and at random she had just returned from germany where she had left her daughter marion in school and frank asked her of the country and if she had visited wiesbaden and had there met or heard of any one by the name of marguerite Heinrich. Mrs. Raymond had spent some months in Wiesbaden, for it was there her daughter was at school, and she was very enthusiastic in her praises of the beautiful town. But she had never seen or heard of Marguerite Heinrich, or of any one by the name of Heinrich. Marguerite Heinrich, Dolly repeated, who in the world is she, and where did you know her? I never did know her, I have only heard of her, Frank replied, again lapsing into a silence from which he did not rouse again he was thinking of the letter and of the lies he had told since his deception began and how sure it was that he had sinned beyond forgiveness when he was a boy he had often listened with the blood curdling in his veins to a story his grandmother told with sundry embellishments of a man who sold his soul to the devil in consideration that for a certain number of years he was to have every pleasure the world could give it had been very pleasant listening to the recital of the fine things the man enjoyed for satan kept his promise well but the boy's hair had stood on end as the story neared its close and he heard now when the probation was ended the devil came for his victim down the wide-mouthed chimney scattering bricks and firebrands over the floor as he carried the trembling soul out into the blackness of the stormy night strangely enough this story came back to him now and notwithstanding the horror of the thing he laughed aloud as he glanced up at the tall oak mantel, wondering if it would be that way he would go one day with his master and seeing in fancy dolly's dismay when the teacups and saucers and vases and plaques came tumbling to the floor as he disappeared from sight in a blue flame which smelled of brimstone it was a loud unnatural laugh but fortunately for him it came just as grace atherton had set the guests in a roar with what she was saying of peterkin's struggle to enter society and so it passed unnoticed by most of them but that night in the privacy of his room where dolly delivered most of her lectures she again upbraided him with his taciturnity telling him that he never laughed but once and then it sounded more like a groan than a laugh you have hit the nail on the head this time for it was a groan frank said as he plunged into bed and dolly as she undressed herself deliberately and put her diamonds carefully away little dreamed what was passing in the mind of the man who all through the long hours of the night lay awake seldom stirring lest he should disturb her but repeating over and over to himself the words lost for ever and ever but if Maud is happy i can bear it chapter twenty four ten years later jerry spelled her name with an ie now instead of a y she was twenty years old she had been a student at vassar for four years together with nina st Clair and ann eliza peterkin and was with them to be graduated in june in her childhood when we knew her as little jerry she was very small but at the age of twelve she had suddenly shot up like an arrow and now at twenty her school companions called her the princess she was so tall and straight and graceful in every movement with that sweet graciousness of manner which won all hearts and made her a general favourite but whether she spelled her name with an i e or a y and stood five feet six or four feet five she was the same jerry who had defended harold against tom tracy and been ready to go to prison if need be for mr arthur frank unselfish loving and true she had been as a child and she was the same now that she had grown to womanhood nothing could spoil her not even the adulation of her friends or the looking-glass which told her she was beautiful just as nina st Clair told her every day yes i am not blind and i know that i am rather good-looking she said to nina one morning when the latter was praising her hair which was soft and curly and retained the golden color seldom seen except in childhood at all events i am not plain and i am glad for as a rule people like pretty things better than ugly ones but i am not an idiot to think that looks are everything and i don't believe i am very vain i used to be though when a child and i remember admiring the shadow of my curls in the sunlight but harold gave me so many lectures upon vanity that i should not do credit to his teachings were i now to be proud of what i did not do myself but harold thinks you are beautiful nina replied he does i did not know that when did he say so jerry asked with kindling eyes and a quick sideways turn of her head of which she had the habit when startled by some sudden emotion he said so last vacation when we were home and i had that little musicale and you played and sang so divinely and wore that dress of baby blue which mr arthur gave you with the blush roses in your belt nina said i was so proud of you and so was mamma and mrs atherton you remember there were some new yorkers there who were visiting mrs grace and i was glad for them to know that we had some talent and some beauty too in the country and harold was proud too i don't think he took his eyes off you from the time you sat down to the piano until you left it and when i said to him doesn't she sing like an angel and isn't she lovely he replied i think my sister jerry has the loveliest face i ever saw and that blue dress is very becoming to her wasn't that rather a stiff speech to make about his sister jerry said with a slight emphasis upon the last word as she walked away leaving nina to wonder if she were displeased evidently not for a few minutes later she heard her whistling softly the air he promised to buy me a knot of blue ribbon to tie up my bonny brown hair and could she have looked into jerry's room she would have seen her standing before the mirror examining the face which harold had said was the loveliest he had ever seen others had said the same billy peterkin and tom tracy and dick st clair and even fred raymond from kentucky who was devoted to nina but Jerry cared little for the compliments of either fred or dick while those of tom she scorned and those of billy she ridiculed one word of commendation from harold was worth more to her than the praises of the whole world besides but harold had always been chary of his commendations and was rather more given to reproof than praise which did not altogether suit the young lady as Jerry had grown older and merged from childhood into womanhood a change had come over both the girl and boy a change which Jerry discovered first awakening suddenly one day to find that the brother and sister delusion was ended and that harold stood to her in an entirely new relation just when the change commenced she could not tell she only knew that it had come and that she was not quite so happy as she had been when she called harold her brother and lavished upon him all the fondness of a loving sister though quite as affectionate and unselfish as jerry harold was not demonstrative while a natural shyness and appreciation of himself made him afraid to tell in words just what or how much he did feel he would rather show it by acts and never was brother tenderer or kinder to a sister than he was to jerry whose changed mood he could not understand and so there gradually arose between them a little cloud which both felt and neither could define arthur had kept his promise well with regard to jerry who had passed from him to vassar and he would have kept it with harold if the latter had permitted it but the boys pride and independence had asserted themselves at last he had accepted the course at andover and one year at harvard on condition that he should be allowed to pay arthur all he had received as soon as he was able to do it as he entered harvard in advance he was a junior when he decided to care for himself and after that he struggled on working at whatever he could find during the summer vacations and teaching school for months at a time so that his college course was longer than usual but it was over at last and he was graduated with the highest honors of his class exciting thunders of applause from the multitude who listened to his valedictory and some of whom said to each other the young man has a future before him such eloquence as that could move the world and rouse or quiet the wildest mob that ever surged through the streets of mad paris jerry was there and saw and heard and when harold's speech was over and the building was shaking with applause and flowers were falling around him like rain she too stood up and cheered so loudly that a boston lady who sat in front of her and who thought any outward show of feeling vulgar and ill-bred turned and looked at her wonderingly and reprovingly but in her excitement jerry did not see the disapprobation in the cold proud eyes she saw only what she mistook for inquiry and answered eagerly that's harold that's my brother oh i am so proud of him and leaning forward so that a curl of her hair touched the boston woman's bonnet she threw the bunch of pond lilies which she had herself gathered that day on the river at home before the sun was up and while the white petals were still folded in sleep for jerry had come down on the early train to see harold graduated and maude had found her in the crowd and sat beside her almost as pleased and happy as she was to see harold thus acquit himself maude's roses which she held in her hand had been bought at a florist's in boston at a fabulous price for they were the choicest and rarest in market and harold had seen both the roses and the lilies long before they fell at his feet it was fancy perhaps but it seemed to him that a sweet perfume from the latter reached him with the brightness of jerry's eyes he knew just where the lilies came from for he had often waded out to the green bed when the water was low to get them for jerry and all the time he was speaking there was in his heart a thought of the old home and the woods and the river and the tall tree on the bank with the bench beneath it and on it the girl whose upturned eager face he saw above the sea of heads confronting him jerry's approval was worth more to the young man than that of all the rest for he knew that though she would be very lenient toward him she was a keen and discriminating critic and would detect a weakness which many an older person might fail to see but she was satisfied he was sure of that and if there had been in his mind any doubt it would have been swept away when after the exercises were over and he stood receiving the congratulations of his friends she worked her way through the crowd and threw her arms around his neck kissing him fondly and bursting into tears as she told him how proud she was of him the eyes of half his classmates were upon him and though harold felt a thrill of keen delight at the touch of Jerry's lips he would a little rather she had waited until they were alone there there jerry that will do he whispered as he unclasped her arms and put her gently from him though he still held her hand don't you see they are all looking at us with a sudden jerk jerry withdrew her hand from his and stepped back into the crowd her heart beating wildly and her cheeks burning with shame as she realized what she had done and how it must have mortified harold Maud was speaking to him now Maud, with her bright black eyes and brilliant color but she was neither crying nor strangling him with kisses she was shaking hands with him very decorously and telling him how pleased and glad she was and in his hand he held her roses which he occasionally smelled as he listened and smiled upon her with that peculiar smile which made him so attractive but the lilies were nowhere to be seen and when an hour later all the baskets and bouquets bearing his name were piled together they were not there he has thrown them away he did not care for them at all and i might as well have stayed in bed as to have gotten up at four o'clock and risked my neck to get them he likes Maud better than he does me jerry thought with a swelling heart and through the journey home for they returned that night she was very quiet and taciturn letting Maud do the talking and saying when asked why she was so still that her head was aching and that she was too tired and sleepy to talk that was the last time for years that jerry put her arms around harold's neck or touched her lips to his for it had come to her like a blow how much he was to her and how little she was to him he likes me well enough but he loves Maud. she thought and although of all her girl friends not even excepting nina st clair Maud was the nearest and dearest she was half glad when a week or two later Maud said good-bye to her and with her mother went to europe where she remained for more than a year and a half during her absence, the two girls corresponded regularly, and Jerry never failed to write whatever she thought would please her friend to hear of harold and When at last, Maud returned and wrote to Jerry, who was then at Vassar, of failing health and wakeful nights, and her longing for the time when Jerry would come home and read to her or recite bits of poetry as she had been wont to do, Jerry trampled every jealous, selfish thought under her feet, and in her letters to Harold, urged him to see Maud as often as possible and read to her whenever she wished him to do so you have such a splendid voice and read so well she wrote that it will rest her just to listen to you and will keep her from being so lonely so offer your services if she does not ask for them that's a good boy then as she remembered how weak maude was mentally she said to herself he will never be happy with her as she is now a girl who cannot do a sum in simple fractions and who when abroad thought only of rome as a good place in which to buy sashes and ribbons and who asked me in a letter to tell her who all those caesars were and what the forum was for is not the wife for a man like harold and however much he might love her at first he would be sure to tire of her after a while unless he can bring her up possibly he can resuming her pen she wrote don't give her all sentimental poetry and love trash but something solid something historical which she can remember and talk about with you in his third letter to jerry after the receipt of her instructions harold wrote as follows i have offered my services as reader and tried the solid on maude as you advised have read her fifty pages of grotte's history of greece but when i got as far as homeric theogony she looked piteously at me while with hesiod and orpheus she was hopelessly bewildered and by the time i reached the extra hellenic religion she was fast asleep i do not believe her mind is strong enough to grapple with those old greek chaps at all events they worry her and tire her more than they rest her so i have abandoned the gods and come down to common people and am reading to her tennyson's poems i've read the may queen four times until i do believe she knows it by heart she has a great liking for the last portion of it especially the lines i shall not forget you mother i shall hear you when you pass with your feet above my head in the long and pleasant grass i saw her cry one day when i read that to her poor little maude she is very frail but no one seems to think her in danger she has so brilliant a colour and always seems so bright jerry read this letter two or three times and each time with an increased sense of comfort no man who really loved a girl could speak of her mental weakness to another as harold had spoken of maude's to her and it might be after all that he merely thought of her as a friend whom he had always known so the cloud was lifted in part and she only felt a great anxiety for maude's health which as the spring advanced grew stronger so that it was almost certain that she would come to vassar in the summer and see her friend graduated such was the state of affairs when nina repeated to jerry what harold had said to her at the musicale the previous winter all day long there was a note of gladness in Jerry's heart which manifested itself in snatches of song and low warbling whistled notes which sounded more as if they came from a canary's than from a human throat whistling Jerry, the girl sometimes called her but she rather liked the name and whistled on whenever she felt like it and it was a very joyous happy song she trilled as she thought of harold's compliment and of the approaching time when he would of course be there to see and hear and as in his valedictory of two years before there had been in every line a thought of her so in her essay which was peculiarly german in its method and handling thoughts of harold were interwoven she knew she should receive a surfeit of applause she always did but if harold's were wanting the whole thing would be a failure so she wrote him frequently, urging him to come, and he always replied that nothing but necessity would keep him from doing so. End of Chapters twenty three and twenty four.